seats on some of your seats, those are evaluation forms. And I will be a little nutty about evaluations. Please don't leave any orange sheets after this session is over. Excuse me, wasn't that tacked, tacky? Oh my gosh, I shouldn't have even started. It, honestly, it was just nail toys. Um, <laughs> if, if there are orange sheets, fill out two. One that you liked us and one that you didn't. Or, you know. No, really, feel free to be critical because if we don't improve, uh, if we don't know how to improve, we can never get there. Um, welcome again. My name is Jean Schultz Angel. And I'm the executive director, uh, which sounds much, much more exciting than it actually is, of the Lombard Historical Society in Lombard, Illinois. Lombard is about 20 miles straight west of Chicago. Um, and I have a big city perspective as well as I am a resident of Chicago. So um, we're, we're kind of all one big group of people over there. I'm sure you can figure out. So you are in transforming organizations through community involvement. And I have three panelists today, Terry Thiessen, Raise your hand, Terry. Who is the president of the New Holstein Historical Society in Wisconsin? I have Ann Easterling, who is a consultant with the Prince George County Regional Heritage Center. She's going to be representing that institution. And that is in Virginia. And I have Tamara Hammer, Hammerline. I knew I was going to mess that up. And uh, Tamara actually works for the Indiana um, Historical Society, but she's going to be talking about her former institution in Montgomery County, Indiana. So we've got some Midwesterners and then an East Coaster here. So lots of different opinions. We were actually arguing over whose institution is the smallest, and Terry wins. So uh, I'm going to give a couple of minutes of a brief, brief overview about um, just some things to be thinking about in terms of transforming organizations through community involvement. And then we're gonna use our panelists as sort of a case study and you can see how they have accomplished uh, big and small goals um, with this ideology. So without further ado, um, this is the in Institute of Museum and Library Services Museums, Libraries, and 21st Century Skills booklet. They probably have an exhibit, although I haven't been to the exhibit hall yet at this conference. Um, please pick one of these up because there's so much really wonderful information about the realities of the 21st century. Museums, of course, need to reimagine their roles. We're all dealing with the same kind of spiraling downward problems. But we can actually turn that and, as one of my absolute favorite phrases go, Never squander a crisis. <laughs> we need to go from, it, it, the reality of the 21st century sort of is we need to look at the, the community different, we need to look at the visitor different, and we need to look at our organizations differently. We need to go from organizations that act independently to ones that are in collaborative partnerships. We need to go from being located within a community to being embedded in a community and acting as a leader on issues. And we need to stop being so focused on presentation and display and start being focused more on audience engagement and audience experience. And those are some of the really key points that come out of this Institute of Museum and Library Science. Now I have a couple more of these, is your organization a community anchor? I know I passed out a few, but essentially this worksheet and some of the handouts are available on the internet. They have a website with the handouts um, AASLH tried to go green this conference and put as much as they could on here. So in honor of the environment, I did not make a whole lot of copies. 
So if you'd like one of these, by all means, go on the internet, or I can actually email you some. We all have our business cards up here if you have questions for us afterwards. Don't worry about it. Come on in. I, I started right on time, so I knew there'd be some stragglers. So um, is your organization a community anchor? There's a series of 10 questions here, and they're yes or no questions. But each one of these sort of reflects where you can improve your relationship in the community. Um, number one, the director or other member of the staff regularly attends local meetings of the Convention and Visitors Bureau, Chamber of Commerce, or other service organizations. That's a yes or no question. Number two, the mayor knows the director on the first name basis. That's pretty simple to answer yes or no. The director is recognized by members or donors in popular community places. I don't have enough donors recognizing me, but I'm working on it. Our organization has a public history forum in some capacity, a mystery photo, ask the historian, a blog, Facebook, something. Number five, we have a mission or vision statement that uses the word community or some similar word. Number six, we have a specific volunteer program for court-ordered community service participants or high school students. We, number seven, we have evaluated our open hours and visitor numbers in the past two years. Number eight, we partner with other organizations in the community on programming or events. Number nine, the director was quoted in the local paper sometime in the last three weeks. And number 10, we have a non-teacher liaison at the school administration office in your district. So out of those 10 questions, each one of those represents a component of how you can be part of your community. If you had eight or more yes answers, then congratulations, you're a strong part of your community. If you had at least five yes answers, you're doing a good job, but you need to strengthen some aspects of your community anchor. You need to set the anchor a little stronger, I guess. Um, and you need to cultivate the relationships that will transform your organization. And if you have three or less yes answers, you probably need a transformation. You probably need a mindset change. It's probably also a safe bet that your organization is in dire need of funding, volunteers, visitors, members, or donors. And connecting with your community can make relevance flourish. And that is the key. Now, um, not all communities are the same, and that's important to consider. And this list, while it might work for some of you, you might put in your own barometer of how you're a community anchor. Now, your community, wherever you are, and whatever organization you're at, almost 100% of you, uh, you, your community has needs. Literacy, hunger, abandoned buildings, things like that. How can you link your organization to a current need? is something that's a nice topic of conversation among your staff. If you have a literacy issue in your community, how about a history reading after school program? If you have people who don't um, have enough clothes or your food banks are running low, you can do clothing drives and canned food drives. You can be a spot where people bring those things. Um, if you have abandoned buildings in your community, you can definitely get on board to share the history of the building, the history of the site, the history of the property, and you can have a this place matters type of attitude. Um, how much your community loves itself makes a great deal of difference on if you're a community anchor or not. And I worked at a community that absolutely adored itself. Everybody was so proud to be from that community. And then I worked at a community that really had more of a, uh, I live here because it's a bedroom community in Chicago type thing. And it was a big 
hill I had to climb to get people to really respect and adore their community. I'm still doing it and I do it every day. But if you have a lot of community pride already built in, it is much easier to reach those goals. But it's not impossible if you don't. And you can also understand the role that you play in your community. And this is where we have to sort of stand up and shout from the rooftops, heritage matters. It's, it's, it's a right in our country, darn it. And it matters, place matters, history matters, stories matter, and you've got to make it matter to your community. I know that having a roof over your head and, and you know, feeding your children also matters right now, and that's the America some of us are facing. But heritage also matters. So we have to make sure that it does in our communities. So how do you transform? Um, in terms of community development, you can take an active role. You can make sure that you, the staff at your village or um, municipality knows your name, and when they're doing community planning, they're considering you. Where do you fit in within your community? Make sure you're not overlooked. If you never go outside the four walls of your museum, guess what? The village planner is not even going to give you the time of day. You know, the park district staff is not going to give you the time of day. You've just got to do that. You need to think outside your site, and you need to have partnerships. Um, you uh, we partner with our park district. We are not part of the park district. We do local, we do tours of their park. Um, we also partner with a Main Street organization, and we do a pub crawl, Saucy Tales pub crawl, where I air the dirty laundry of our community's history. It's adults only. No, just kidding. It is fun, though. So you could also engage in your community's issues. Are there local preservation struggles? Get in there. You're the preservation example for your community. And you need to get in there and you need to be in the trenches. Um, we personally, we had a National Register um, theater torn down in our site about 2005. And we are still healing from those wounds. And I was not director in 2005. I'm not sure with the amount of fight that I wanted to give, that I would still be director afterwards. <laughs> but, you know, because I really wanted to get in there and save that building, and our board made the mistake of just sitting by and letting others speak for them, and we still are struggling with that issue. There's still a group of preservationists in my community who partly blame the historical society for not fighting hard enough. So you, you gotta be careful if there's preservation struggles, you've really gotta be a advocate. You also need to tap into the buzz. Um, link your mission with the current trends. What's really big around us right now are CSAs, Community Supported Agriculture. And we did a program at our museum called Off the Grid Living. And if you don't know the term off the grid, it means you know, kind of like pioneer skills for sustainable living. You're living off the grid, you're independent and sustainable. So we did off-the-grid living. So we would have, say, cooking meat over an open fire, and then we'd invite a CSA to come and see if they had anybody who wanted to sign up. Now that led to something further. The CSA that we got is now making one of our museums the pickup spot for your share of meat. You buy into a CSA in terms of vegetables or meat or something like that, or eggs or milk. They, you have to go and get that share once a month or however often it is. And now we're a pickup site. So people that were interested in CSAs now walk into our museum and, and they have a relationship with us now. And we are going to be more relevant to them because we branched out to what the community needed. So there's lots of different ways. 
Now, um, you can improve connections in audience and community through, of course, Twittering. And I know a lot of you are like, no. But you know what? It's kind of fun. But I advise you, please, for the integrity of history and historians, do not tweet on behalf of a person who is dead unless they left a journal where you can actually tweet their actual words. But it is fun to tweet. We, Lombard is the lilac village. We have a historic collection of lilacs. Over the last 80 years, we've celebrated lilac time, and we have this big lilac thing. It's actually quite huge. Um, the International Lilac Society came and did their convention at us. I mean, it's you know, kind of big. So we tweeted during lilac time, which is May, when the lilacs are in bloom, as Lucy the lilac bush. And we gave her horticultural description. She had a location in the park that you could go find. You could take a picture with Lucy the lilac bush. And she said, oh, it's really cloudy today, but I see the mayor. He's you know, crowning the lilac princess this year. We could tweet on behalf of inanimate objects and make them relevant to our history and our, our um, interpretation. Now we are, we are in the midst of a Civil War thing, as, as probably most of you are. Um, but we're doing a reenactment in October, and so until then, we're tweeting Howie the Howitzer Cannon is tweeting, because we will have a cannon in our, our reenactment, and Howie's going to be tweeting. He doesn't tweet as much as he booms, though. That's our first tweet. Ha ha, come on. <laughs> so get the message out in creative ways, and then you will expand your audience as well. Because, you know, who's tweeting is the 20-somethings that we all want in our doors. So points to remember. History, um, the history of your community represents, interprets, has the ability to transform a person's opinion about where they are. Please share your history. And then becoming an anchor in your community allows you to be relevant and shape public opinion. And the health of your organization depends on your community involvement. And that wraps it up for me. While I'm pulling up the next presentation, I will... Um, pass the mic over. That would be great. <laughs> Hi, my name is Terry Thiessen. As Jean said, I'm president of the New Holstein Historical Society. New Holstein is 3,400 people. We own two facilities, <clears throat> a restored home and a general community-type museum. We have 130 members, no paid staff, and we get no funds from either the city or the county. I so, think that deserves <clears throat> a round of applause. <clears throat> so we are self-sufficient in many ways. Um, our budget is a mere $35,000 a year, um, and we rely heavily upon our community involvement. So some of these I will skip over quickly because they're just images, um, and I uh, want you to look at them. <clears throat> our two properties, the uh, Tim House historic um, home was totally restored in 2007 with $1.25 million that we raised out of our little community. So uh, we do have community support. The other building was an old general store donated to us that is in dire need of help. No HVAC, so you can imagine what our collections are doing in the winter and in the summer. Um, we have a variety of things that we try and involve the community in. Our facilities, we open our facilities to other community organizations for board meetings, um, small events. We do a lot of educational programming 
uh, in conjunction with our public school district and our private schools. And we offer special event involvement. We are constantly um, in tune with the other nonprofits, Kiwanis, Optimus, Boy Scout, Girl Scouts. Um, one of the things you learn in a community of that size, you never plan something against a child's event, a church event, or one of the big nonprofits. So we work with them rather than against them. We do adoption programs which are more fundraising where you can adopt collections, buildings, galleries. And then again, big community events, community picnics we get involved with. And our members, we encourage to become involved. Um, listening to Gene, um, I'll tell you where I am in the community. Um, besides being president, I'm also chair of the Historic Preservation Commission. I am president of the community chest. I am the secretary of the Economic Development Corporation, so the mayor knows my name. <laughs> <clears throat> Frankly, she would prefer many times not to. <laughs> And we use newsletters, website, emails to uh, stay out there. Community relevance. Um, are you relevant in your community and highly respected? That, we started by asking that question years ago, and we found we weren't. We were old people that collect old stuff. That was the general opinion. So we had to change that, because I'm not old. <clears throat> Are we considered, our services considered relevant? We found out no. People used us to get rid of what they didn't sell at the garage sale. We've been and we have a big front porch. And in the morning, many times, I'd come and find stuff. Um, so we needed to change that. <clears throat> we decided our volunteers were a key, and we needed lots of them. So we encouraged them. Um, people who are out of work to come and help out. We have days like um, Picture Thursday, where they come and look at old pictures. I don't care if you're a member or not, if you can get 15 minutes or two hours. We have wives who come and help us succession and in inventory. So we got more people involved in talking about us. And then we use those people as contacts within other organizations. So the Women's Guild at local churches, uh, men's clubs, bowling leagues. And then we worked on our reputation. Timing an event program appropriate in relation to our agency's reputation in public relations. Again, it's really difficult to go against another community organization that's had, let's say, a, a pie selling event for 30 years, and suddenly we decide to plan an event. So we worked with people and enhanced their um, program or volunteered to help them with their program. All right, we'll move beyond these. Educational programming was big. We started offering evening programs, free of charge to members, reasonable price, quarterly adult educational programs, most of them centered around genealogy. Everybody's looking for their history. So we got a lot of people involved and interested. Then we got the kids. We offer a summer camp um, for kids in third and fourth grade where they spend four days 
living as they would have in the 1800s. And that fits really well with Wisconsin state standards um, into the programming. Um, we offer tours of our properties for any school group. So um, public schools come as fourth graders. The private schools many times bring their entire um, school to the to tour. Creating a young historians club at the high school age, working with the high school teachers to create this historians club selfishly for our benefit. It draws in new members, young new members, excited new members, but it also shows people we are interested in what um, they learn and, and our community's history. We support our community at every opportunity. We do the other organizations. I've already talked about that. We go out and look for ways to promote us. Um, one of the events in our community is called Night on the Town, where all the hospitality for businesses offer a special food um, for the evening and a special type of music. We're the only nonprofit that participates. So we do, we're German in heritage, so we have German food and we have a German band play. And um, it's uh, run by the Chamber of Commerce and we support them that way. In turn, they support us in a lot of our activities. And then we offer memberships at everything we do. And we offer products many times. And then we advertise at all, all of the events we participate in. We have a list of our community can, cal calendar. Okay. We like to sparkle a lot, and these are just pictures of events. Okay, we now offer bus tours where we take people from within the community to other communities. Again, um, people that have never touched us or we them suddenly have become interested in touring with us. So we do one at Christmas time. We go to see um, two mansions and then a historic restaurant for lunch. And we stay within a two, two and a half hour radius of New Holstein. So we get a lot of places. And in spring we do gardens and a historic home, and again, lunch in a restaurant. It's a great social activity, but people get some history, they get to know us, and uh, we are picking up benefits from that. These are all things we've done, and I'll just keep pulling them down here. In conjunction with other organizations, we're on our own. And this is where we not only reach the community, but we raise the money we need. So um, if you look at it, a couple of the big ones here, um, the Strawberry Festival, um, serving strawberry sundaes and the strawberry shortcake off the front porch of the house, um, five to $6,000. Our ghost tours are really interesting for locals, nothing like anything here. We don't have any really interesting ghosts, but people like to tour the, <laughs> the buildings that claim to have um, ghosts. Um, we do a community picnic, um, which is an interesting story, if I may. In our community, the firemen sponsor the picnic. They've done it for years. They don't allow any other organization to participate. It's failing slowly. 
dying. <clears throat> the neighboring community three miles away started as a two-day picnic. It's now a four-day picnic. It opens up to any organization that wants to rent a space. The cherry tree is just that. Get together, make paper, crepe paper cherries with a number inside, about 20,000 of them, hang them on a, on a branch. People come, buy chances, open it up, and there's a number. Whatever the number is, that's the prize they get. Ten to $15,000 in four days. You know, fingers are tired, but boy, do we touch people. <laughs> and then the golf outing, 100-hole challenge is an interesting one. If you're a golfer, you hate it. Non-golfers love it. What you do is you get people to go out and sell um, a dollar a hole and with the, with the knowledge that if I golf 100 holes, you're going to pay 100 bucks. Well, the deal is you don't shoot for score. You don't shoot for whatever. You just go through and play through each of the holes. So we'll be starting at 7 o'clock. You end up about 4, and we raise about 20000 And then settlers' events, um, we do a lot of um, interpretation of, of the eight families that originally came in 1848. And uh, some days we'll do the Tim family, or sometimes we'll talk about um, the Green family and use their homes and, and have characters interpreting it. And wine and cheese tasting, they're always popular. The adoption programs are just this. Uh, you can adopt the doll collection, the shoe collection, whatever. You get your name out there, you pay a certain amount, and uh, we get people who've never been in the museum that suddenly want to have their name on something, so we suck them in, and they never get away from us. <laughs> Even an artifact, a big artifact, a small one, um, the pricing is there. We put it in the annual report, a description. We've got one of the largest button collections in the Midwest that were, was donated to us. It's quite costly to maintain, and we've got two families now that um, give us yearly contributions. Uh, we'll just move quickly through. A vignette program is we have created the streets of Old Holstein. And each year we add two new businesses that were in the community um, in the early years. And people now are adopting. Um, they pay a, a fee. We use that towards creating the different vignettes. And they get their name on it. They get to come to a little reception, wine and cheese in the press. And so they get splashed around in the paper. Then we have galleries, um, feature galleries, and permanent galleries, or rooms that then the prices go up on. Um, and people really like to do this. Um, it's a great help. The Schildhauer, Edward Schildhauer, for those of you who don't know, was the creator, designer, and brains behind creating the lock system of the Panama Canal. He was a native New Holstein um, person. His family. Um, decided this was a wonderful opportunity for them. So his grandniece, who has collected all of his items over the years, um, lives in Alaska, shipped boxes of his memorabilia to us, along with a check to sponsor the, the exhibit. 
Um, great opportunity for local people. And then the adopt a building. We haven't achieved that success. Um, but um, we're working on it to get people to um, help us with the exteriors of the buildings. Okay. I'm, ooh, I'm right up my time. Questions left unanswered. There's a lot of them. Um, you can't sit back. You can't become stagnant, as we've learned over the years with our society. We had a lot of wonderful volunteer boards who were very, very dedicated in maintaining and collecting. We started in 18, or 1948 at our centennial, and they were very, very good. But they stayed stagnant. They put in a display, and it was there for 40 years. Um, the community lost interest in us. So we started 10 years ago becoming more active and involved going out and shaking the bushes and becoming involved ourselves. And that's um, the best way that I can say we've been successful. We just became totally involved in New Holstein. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Tamara Hemmerlein, and uh, for the past few months, I've been the coordinator of the Hoosier Heritage Alliance of the Indiana Historical Society, and that's an IMLS Connecting to Collections uh, project. Prior to that, I was the executive director of the Montgomery County Historical Society in Montgomery County, Indiana. I was also the part-time director of the Montgomery County Cultural Foundation in Montgomery County, Indiana. Um, we, at the Historical Society, we had Lame Place, um, which is an antebellum mansion, Speed Cabin, which um, was an underground railroad site, and the Cultural Foundation owns the uh, Montgomery County Rotary Jail, which is the only working Rotary Jail in the world. Um, it's really interesting, you should look it up. Um, and an arts center, um, and so for a while, I uh, directed two small organizations. And what I'm going to talk about um, to start out with is um, a concept that I actually stole, sort of, but he said it was okay, um, from John Harris, who was a former director of local history services at the Indiana Historical Society. And he gave a workshop uh, for me for one of my organizations. And this really resonated. Um, when I came in to the Cultural Foundation, they were going through a particularly rocky period. They had lost their community support. At one point, they had had to prosecute a former director for stealing from the collections money. It was a felony, $35,000. Um, his lawyer said, could you, could you back, let him do it as a misdemeanor because he's just a kleptomaniac? And they said, no. Um, and they had lost community confidence. At the Historical Society, when I came on board, one of, the, one of the things somebody said to me was, oh, I hear you leave that board if, if, if you die, um, and not before. So I stepped into a couple of organizations that had long histories in the community, but were having some struggles. And um, John gave a, a, a workshop for us, and one of the things that he asked the board to do 
was to determine on a continuum whether uh, the organization was a club or a service organization. The board members made it very, very much toward the service organization end of things. I made it very much toward the other end. And when he said, you know, he sort of surveyed the board, and then he said, Tamara, where did you put this organization? And I said, do you have a job opening up anytime soon? Um, because I had disagreed with the board at that point. But they were okay with it. Um, so I looked at it, and the idea of looking at an organization as a club, um, and those are the characteristics and the results of that. If you have an organization um, that really only has like-minded individuals involved with it, um, you get some stagnation involved there. Um, a lot of hands-on stuff, meaning that the same individuals are involved in the same projects all the time. Um, so you're not really getting um, a broad focus. You're not getting depth and breadth in your exhibits, your programming, um, your collection, um, you know, sometimes narrows too much. And other organizations begin to form because your organization has narrowed its focus and perhaps is not serving the community needs as well as it could. A service organization is different in a lot of ways. Um, there's a diversity of interests and compositions, so you're getting a lot of people. You're better reflecting the demographics of your community. Um, you've got young and old. Probably the best functioning board that I worked for in the 13 years I was with the organizations um, was one, it was a 15-member board, and had five members who were about 25 to 40, five members who were about 40 to 65, and five members who were 65 and up. It was pretty evenly split male-female. We had um, people involved in the business community, people involved in the cultural community, and people involved in the arts community. It was the most diverse board that I had, and the organization experienced quite a bit of growth during that period. Um, you can do more fundraising if you're a service organization. Um, a club relies mostly on dues, um, doesn't really go out there and look for other funds. Um, you have a budget. Clubs don't have budgets, or they have sort of one or two lines in their budget. A service organization has a fully formed budget. And a club looks inward a lot of times. Um, and a service organization looks outward. And I am not uh, being negative about clubs. Clubs are wonderful. I belong to some of them. But if you say you're a service organization, you should be a service organization and not a club. And um, you know, then your organization can, can have some trouble if you are a club and not a service organization. Um, the reality for most organizations is that you really don't fit in the extremes of the spectrum. You, you kind of are somewhere in between. Um, and my goal with the organizations that I headed was with the help of the board, staff, and volunteers, was to move both organizations more toward the service organization pole and away from that idea of club. I was worried that we were losing relevance in the community. One of the organizations had already lost the community confidence. Um, the other one 
was just kind of there, um, had always been there, but wasn't really a presence. Um, it wasn't a go-to organization for a lot of things that it should have been a go-to organization for. Um, as you work toward, or as I worked, um, to make sort of that club mentality change, the service organization mentality, um, the organizations changed, the boards changed. Um, we looked, we, ha we, we revisited mission, um, we revisited programs, exhibits, um, we revisited everything um, as we worked to be more relevant, to really be seen as service organizations in our community. And there are gonna be milestones along the way. Um, moments where you realize that you are becoming more relevant. Um, when somebody says, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine about thus and such, and they said the Montgomery County Historical Society was the place to check, or the uh, Rotary Jail Museum was the place to go for the program. Recognize and celebrate those milestones because it means that you are becoming more relevant. Um, Montgomery County, Indiana is, is a small community. It is not a wealthy community. Um, it is not a community with, um, you know, you see some of the information there, um, with high, high levels of education. And it's very agricultural. And if any of you have ever tried to make a cultural or historical organization incredibly relevant to farmers, it can be difficult. Not that they don't care, and not that they don't want to be involved, but there's a way to go about doing it. Um, you, you know, you, so you have to know your community demographics. You have to know your audience. The Montgomery County Historical Society was in existence for about 100 years. Um, that's just some brief information about it. Um, this is, is the governance and funding. Um, small budget, small staff, doing amazing things. Um, our attitude was we were going to do the best that we could. Um, we, we took ideas from other organizations, and if we needed to, we just took a zero or two or three off the budget um, of, of their projects and, and co-opted them. Um, and so we also, although all the staff was part-time, um, we did not make excuses. We were a small organization, but that's not an excuse. That is a fact. And so we didn't use small staff, small organization, small budget as an excuse not to do our best. These are some of the programs that um, we do, did, and developed. Um, Archicamp was developed in conjunction with the Indiana Landmarks Foundation. Um, and it's a two-day youth preservation education program. It uh, focuses on local preservation. It's for kids 9 to 12. It's got hands-on activities. I highly recommend one of them, which is dumping out um, cardboard boxes of all sizes and shapes and giving the kids rolls of duct tape and scissors and saying, create the cityscape of downtown Crawfordsville. Um, we used photos from the local library. We had done a walking tour. Um, we've created industrial buildings, schools, what have you, and the kids love it. We communi our community collaborations included um, working with the Carnegie Museum of Montgomery County, a new museum. The Montgomery County Historical Society was actually um, hired as a consultant 
to, to work with the local library to create the Carnegie Museum of Montgomery County. So we helped to get them started and then the library took over. And that actually was a little bit of a fundraiser for us. They were going to hire an outside consultant and we said, well, how about us? How about you know the Historical Society staff? Um, we are the home of the Montgomery County Civic Band, which brings you know hundreds and hundreds of people to the site every year. We, of course, like a lot of Midwestern places, have a strawberry festival. Um, actually, we collaborate with a committee. We provide the space. We open up, um, the house is open as always um, for tours, and we get about 15,000 people on our grounds in three days, and they do all the planning, they do all the cleanup. We just smile and take a check. Um, the Sugar Creek Players is a local theater group. We worked with them this year. Um, a book came out called The Girls of Murder City, which was about um, murder trials in Chicago and a female crime reporter from Crawfordsville, Maureen Watkins. Um, we did, worked with them to do a reading group and an inside the actor's studio because they were presenting the play Chicago, which um, Maureen Watkins wrote. And so that was a pretty interesting um, connection that we made. Um, the Montgomery County Cultural Foundation and Rotary Jail Museum are very similar to the Historical Society. Um, the difference is they do art and history. And so with that organization, because there, were, there are seven museums in Montgomery County, which is a museum for every like 4,500 inhabitants, um, but there was no place for art for the community. So we decided that that was a niche we were going to fill. Still maintaining the historic site, recognizing the importance of the historic site, not ignoring that history at all, simply adding art. Our community collaborations included working with the Art League of Montgomery County to stage a one-week yearly um, downtown art exhibit. It was a juried exhibit. Art was placed in local downtown store windows, um, and uh, the, downtown, the downtown stores saw huge increases in traffic, um, and we got a lot of recognition for helping with that program. We also work with the Carnegie Museum of Montgomery County. The two that are, are kind of different, I think, for historical organizations to look at, we did art programs for the Family Crisis Shelter and the Montgomery County Youth Service Bureau. The Family Crisis Shelter is a shelter for abused individuals. Um, and so we had to take our program to them. They could not leave the secure facility. They didn't feel comfortable leaving. Um, and so we took our program to them. One of my philosophies is you cannot just sit and expect people to come to you because it doesn't work that way. We, we took it on the road. We figured out what we could do. Um, it's a transient population at the crisis shelter, so we had to do something that could be done in two or three hours, was really inexpensive, gave the people involved a sense of accomplishment. It couldn't be anything that made them feel bad about themselves. Um, and we, we literally hauled the boxes of materials to them. The Youth Service Bureau program was with The Jump, which is a mentor-mentee program. Similar situation, um, looking at some, you know, things that could be done in a one-off. They could take home, they could create real art, and they could be proud of it. Again, that was something that we were willing to take on the road to them. So I urge you, in looking at um, relevance, transforming your organization, Think outside of your walls. And also, if you're a history organization, think there would be no reason why we could not have done a history program for the Family Crisis Shelter, some sort of hands-on history. So look at the programs you already have, figure out what you can take outside of your walls, 
um, and figure out how many different types of organizations you can collaborate with um, to really make sure that you stay relevant in your community. So that would be it Thank you. for me. Well, my name is Ann Easterling, and I am a museum education consultant currently working with the mouthful uh, Prince George County Regional Heritage Center. Um, we have had, um, whoops, which way? Oh, I want to go the other way. Maybe. Yay. Yeah. Um, we are a small museum. We've only been in business for about three years. We've had some excellent experiences I want to share with you, but I want to tell you a little bit about, well, there are probably a lot of historians in here. Uh, Prince George County was established in 1703, was named for uh, Prince George of Denmark, who was married then to Queen Anne of Britain. Um, the county was one of the earliest established counties in, in, in this area. It was one part of Charles City County, uh, one of the eight original shires of Virginia, Charles, uh, that Charles being old, uh, Queen Anne's grandpa. The county once extended from the James River, which you've seen outside your uh, hotel window probably, from the south end of the south side of the James River all the way to the Blue Ridge Mountains in the west and all the way down to what is now the North Carolina border to the south. Uh, we are not quite so big anymore. We are 282 square miles with only 30, 36,000 residents, which is probably not too different from 1703. But you can see we're right uh, south of Richmond on 95, Highway 95, about 30 minutes. This, the county is surrounded by uh, three little towns, Hopewell, Colonial Heights, and Petersburg. And we're fortunate to have a large uh, military base, uh, Fort Lee, and it's one of the few bases that's actually expanding in this era of downsizing our military bases. Uh, it's no longer strictly an agricultural county as it once was. It's, uh, we've got a lot of um, high-tech industries coming into the county. Uh, we were at one point one of those historical societies that we all kind of imagine, old people collecting old stuff and um, decided we didn't want to be that anymore. And so in 2003, the society decided to come up with a way to uh, collect, interpret, preserve the county's history or the region's history. Um, so with the support of the Board of Supervisors, the nonprofit Prince George County Regional Heritage Center, which took me a long time to learn how to say, um, began leasing the, um, there we go, on that CD you can see the 1883 Prince George Courthouse. Um, and after several years of planning and fundraising, we had a huge, huge, about 300 people, opening uh, on November 8th, 2008. And it's kind of been uphill ever since, uh, which is, is, is good to report. We had early on a, the community buy-in to this project. As you can see on the pie graph here, the original budget for renovation of that old 1883 courthouse and the installation of the first permanent exhibition was about half a million dollars. And you can see here that big purple piece of pie there is the community buy-in. 40% of the budget came from people writing $10 checks and people writing $1,000 checks. They really pitched in. Uh, we, of course, had other support, but that community buy-in was early and it was very significant. Um, like uh, other organizations we've talked about and probably yours, we gave 
Um, naming opportunity. I'm amazed at the number of people who want to put their name on something. I've never been one of those, but thank heaven for them, because um, we have offered opportunities for folks to name galleries. And in this case, galleries in our small museum is a room. Um, members of the community made large and small contributions. Um, this particular gallery that you see pictured here uh, is called the People Gallery, and it was sponsored by Mr. Clemens, who you can see on this very important bronze plaque. He was, uh, he lived in the county, well, he's still alive. He lives, lived in the county for a long, long time. He's well into his 80s now. And he, he paid up, and um, the gallery is in memory of his wife, and also in honor of his own service to the county. But what I thought was really special was Mr. Clements wanted a way for his grandchildren to remember him and his service to the county. So um, I think that's something you can look at, uh, pers personal connections. Uh, in addition to that, we found some friendly funding connections with local businesses. Um, the building you see here is the Prince George County Courthouse, taken in the 20s, I believe. But uh, the Prince George County Bank was established in the courthouse in 1919. And in the close-up, you can see the little bank sign over the window there. Um, in the 30s, it combined with several other local banks to form the Bank of Southside Virginia. And so, guess what? That's still around. So because they were proud of that contribution, that, that connection, the Bank of Southside Virginia contributed $12,000 to create, to renovate and create the community gallery in the room where one of its earliest banks uh, once was. Now, the window you see in that picture is the one you saw on the previous slide with the word bank over top of it. And you can see the bank teller cage is one of the centerpieces of that gallery, as is the original safe. And sadly, we've surrounded it with money here, but it, it was empty, which was disheartening. <laughs> um, before the society really transformed into the Heritage Center, they were sponsoring all sorts of lectures. Um, and through these lectures, I think we started to build a community trust, which has been so important to us. Uh, one of the, 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 oops, there we go. Uh, lectures, we had speakers of all kind, and one of those speakers was the president of Richard Bland Junior College, which is of the College of William and Mary, and I was just thinking today, William and Mary, remember Queen Anne from slide number two? Uh, Mary was her sister, and uh, William was her brother-in-law, so it's kind of all in the, the Stewart family here. Sadly, none of them have ever made it to this part of the world. Um, so anyhow, the president of John Bland, uh, Richard Bland came to speak, and he rec recognized what was happening in the county. Um, and he suddenly, he became a committed supporter. And consequently, from William and Mary, we got uh, the collection of artifacts that was housed at Richard Bland College that belonged in the county. They are now on permanent loan to the Heritage Center. Um, and this bottle here, you can see the RB on it, and I'm gonna tell you a little bit about that in a second. So that, that college president realized that the community trust was building and he did his part for the center. And so, we trust our citizens and our residents of the region, and they view us as a, a trustworthy, safe place for their family treasures. And so when we do a seasonal exhibition or a temporary exhibition, we call out to the community, and voila, we have done exhibitions like this one, Toys of Yesteryear, year, for two years at Christmas time, and um, it's vintage toys. And some, like you see the little truck there in the middle, was handmade by a, a Prince George man for his child who's now in his 60s. He still has his car and um, some of them like that Viewmaster are just toys that people of a certain age may remember. Like me, yeah. <laughs> also we did an exhibition called Memories of Family Kitchens and 
put a call out to the community, and in came the stories and the oral histories and the objects. And we had a wooden butter churn, basket and a pottery bowl that came to Prince George with their German immigrant owners, collection of family cookbooks, and one of my favorite objects was Granny's measuring cup. And the, the family brought it to us, and it was a measuring cup, had no handle, absolutely no measurements on it. And somehow their granny knew exactly how much flour, sugar, whatever it took. And that was, I don't know how she passed that on, but we got to put that wonderful object in Memories of Family Kitchens. Uh, we also have an annual Black History Month and Women's History Month um, exhibition. And you can see here in this lower picture, um, when I say exhibition, it's basically tables in these rooms with stuff on them and interpretive labels. So it's not, we're not talking high-tech exhibitions. I think the low-tech part of it is what people really enjoy, and they feel comfortable lending us our things. Um, and we decided, in discussing this, we decided we were really considered, the Heritage Center is considered an extension of self. People want to share their family treasures and their family stories with us so that kids like these cuties um, can see it and learn from it um, forever and ever, or as long as we <laughs> stand there. Recently, though, this is kind of cool, um, the, um, we recently acquired the Bland Family Cemetery uh, on, the, on Jordan Point near the James River where Richard Bland and 38 members of the Bland family are buried. Now that bottle that had RB on it belonged to this guy, Richard Bland. He was a, a planter in Virginia, a member of the House of uh, Delegates, the House of Burgesses before that, member of the First and Central, Second Continental Congresses, an advocate for colonial rights. Uh, if you've been down to Colonial Williamsburg or planning to go, as you walk down Duke of Gloucester Street, that is where poor Richard Bland up and died before he had the opportunity to sign his name to the Declaration of Independence. His, his body was brought back to Prince George County and is buried there. Well, the, the cemetery land belonged to a woman who was living at the Petersburg Home for Ladies, and she, she joined Bland, <laughs> she passed away, and she left the land to the Petersburg Home for Ladies, which didn't know quite what to do with it, and because we have that community trust, they gave us this historical cemetery um, for us to take care of in perpetuity. In fact, a lot of citizens, residents of the county have, have worked with us and they're, they're leaving us things in their will because they trust us. And we are really proud of the public trust we have gained. Um, there's the Bland Family Cemetery. Now this was a huge hit and who would have thunk it? From Prince George to Pasadena, 20 years of amazing Mesa. You know, you don't know who he is, but he was very popular in Prince George County, Virginia. Um, he was the founder and conductor, uh, leader, of the Prince George High School Marching Royals Band. Now, that doesn't sound like much to you guys, but in Prince George County, this is something else. This band marched in numerous Macy's Thanksgiving Day parades, every bowl game you could think of, Rose Bowl, Orange Bowl, Cotton Bowl, before they were all advertised with corporate sponsors. Uh, Disneyland, they went all over the country, and this band was incredibly important to these kids. A lot of these kids, who are now grown-ups, of course, uh, had never been anywhere, and this band gave them the opportunity um, to travel and to see the world and to cooperate, and so it, this band is incredibly important to the community. The committee of former band members gathered together for almost a year, uh, some coming from other states to participate in the planning. They collected instruments, museum, uh, not museums, music, uh, uniforms, and I sat in on a couple of those meetings, and I can't tell you some of the stories I heard about these high school kids all over the country. But Mr. Meza was a former um, military man, and so he had, and this is off the 
course here, but um, he had a, a booklet, and they had inspections, and they had to lay, uh, lay out their whole uniform and all their you know regalia and stuff on the ho beds in the hotel room. And everybody got inspected. So these kids were learning a lot besides uh, music, but um, it really did change a lot of their lives. So they came together, and they put this wonderful exhibition together uh, with our help and guidance, and we had 250 people on opening day, and we got incredible press coverage. And the legacy of this is that because of this first little exhibition, there's going to be a um, permanent exhibition about the band in um, this clerk's office, which is our second building. So you can see, this probably looks very familiar to a lot of you, the ladder and the paint cans. We're getting ready to undertake that um, renovation and the new exhibition. You can see right there in the corner, they actually made a record album, something I think most of us are probably familiar with. Um, and uh, they were incredibly popular. So. Um, with the band members and the Mesa family, their, their financial um, uh, commitment to it as well as their emotional commitment, we're going to have a whole new uh, building done. Uh, community partnerships, we've done several digs with the National uh, Park Service uh, for adults and kids. Uh, we found all sorts of stuff. They are all, if you've got a national park or state park nearby, they love to collaborate, so take advantage of that. Here's another collaboration that was terrific. This is the Golden Ball Tavern, which is established in Petersburg in 1764. Clearly, that was not taken then. It was a little bit later. Um, but the Heritage Center led the way for an archaeological dig there. Five partners. Now, don't forget, you've got lots of people in town, your communities, who want to do this stuff, too. Heritage Center, the Commonwealth of Virginia, Richard Bland College, and the City of Petersburg and the Historic Petersburg Foundation sought and received funding from the Cameron Foundation for a three-year excavation um, and analysis project. And there are volunteers, those lovely people doing their thing. And without this partnership, this wouldn't have happened and we would not have had this discovery of 245 years of history. Um, and also the little, the, the, there's the uh, little exhibition we have in the Heritage Center. Um, and that is a, a beautiful Delft plate. And it says, success to the King of Prussia. That was also something we found. Apparently that's very rare. Um, one other thing I want to tell you about, just because I think it's so adorable, uh, a community partnership who you wouldn't expect, the beefsteak raid in Civil War history. You can see here in 1864, Wade Hampton set out to capture 3,000 beeves in what Lincoln called the slickest piece of cattle stealing. In fact, his men rode around 100 miles around the Union forces and stole about 2,500 head of cattle to feed what were then the starving Confederate troops towards the end of the war, as you can see. Um, when General Grant was asked when he expected to starve out Lee and take Richmond, he said, never if our armies continue to supply him with beef cattle. So uh, to commemorate the beefsteak raid, we've partnered with the Ruritan Club in Prince George, and we have, we have a steak dinner. And don't you love that logo? You said something about CSAs earlier, and I thought, what is she talking about? Uh, around here, that stands for Confederate States of America. So you can see the cow has changed his allegiance after the, the raid. But we have a big old steak dinner. We have things for kids. We have some reenactors. Uh, the Ruritan, this is their big fundraising, too. They sell the tickets. They cook the steaks. And we raised about 10% of our annual operating budget from this event, which is the 22nd, if anybody's still in town by then. Come on down. We also, it gives us a good opportunity to let folks know about the actual educational um, bus tour we do uh, another part of the year where we actually drive around the, the route of the, the beefsteak raid and do a little Civil War history. Now, and speaking of unlikely partnerships, and I'm sure we were, um, 
this is a wonderful story. One Sunday afternoon at the museum, we looked out, and the, the parking lot started to fill up with motorcycles. And turns out it was the mechanized cavalry of the Sons of Confederate Veterans. Well, frankly, we never expected that. So uh, they came in. They enjoyed the museum so much. Uh, they've ended up being one of our great uh, sponsors, or partners, I should say. They sell about 25% of our beefsteak rate dinner tickets. They provide, you can see the flag in that second picture is a replica of the flag that was actually flown by Confederate forces on that beefsteak raid I told you about. They help with buglers, volunteers, reenactors for our Memorial and Veterans Day events. Um, so these folks traveling around on their motorcycles have become great ambassadors for, for the Heritage Center. Uh, another community partnership. Some of these things like, you know, these guys just showed up in our parking lot. This took a little more time. The Czech Slovak uh, Heritage Society is, um, uh, is, is a big supporter. Um, Prince George is the unofficial uh, capital of, Czech capital of Virginia. Huge influx of immigrants in 1885 to 1920. Uh, people from Eastern Europe, Moravia, um, Bohemia came and settled on farms that had been abandoned during the Civil War. We're really not all about the Civil War, I promise you. Um, but as True History Partners, these folks, they do programs, they bring artifacts, they spread the word about us, and they also are going to raising money to have their own gallery um, in that second office, uh, clerk's office building I was telling you about. And I'm ex really looking forward to, they're having a Czech bakery at our Courthouse County Fair next month, so can't wait for that. So volunteers, we've also talked about volunteers as a community partner. We have a cemetery identification program. Um, and as you know, they have a lot of not only genealogical history, but all of that, of course, is, is county history. So we train some volunteers, uh, Park Service and a professional archaeologist. We train volunteers, and they go out. Um, f and we find out where to look because of our, another strange, unlikely partnership is a lot of these hunting clubs in rural communities. They go out and, and shoot animals, which, frankly, I've never understood, but that's just my personal thing. <laughs> um, but they find these things. They report back to us. And so we send out our volunteers, and they record them, photograph uh, them. And uh, we're doing a database that, of course, will have the historical information. Don't disclose the location. Um, and the owners of the property. But a lot of these things are not known to anybody but families. So now we're, we're trying to use our volunteers to preserve that part. And you can see this was found in that under that ramshackle building. Um, okay. Um, look at that. Perfect timing. I could go on, but I'm running out of time, it says. Um, some things we've learned. Uh, try a regional approach. We, uh, as I said, we went from a little historical society to a regional center. Earning the community's trust, listen to your audiences, consider their expertise, and follow through. Trust them, they will trust you. Be inclusive, we've talked about that. Be relevant, also really very important. Connect heritage to your audience's lives, no matter their age, gender, you know the routine. Find common ground, recognize the universals in your community and embrace them. We talked about this too, stay up to date. Young folks enjoy the social media. Uh, we do have a Facebook page for Richard Bland, but we don't speak for him, we just talk about him. So go on Facebook, look at Richard Bland and like him and you'll find out some interesting things about that gent. Um, finding connections, work with people to figure out how they like to work in the community, whether it's in-kind, donations, money, volunteers. You know, somebody with a paintbrush in their hand painting for hours is as valuable as a check, if not more so sometimes. Be creative. I suggest looking under a few rocks for unlikely partners because you never know who'll show up in your parking lot some Sunday afternoon. Uh, be gracious. Do accept small donations of time and money with the same grace 
um, and appreciation is large donations. And one success does beget another success, and one after another after another. And so to conclude, oh, we have been transformed. <laughs> Look at us. Um, we really, without our community partners and these relationships, um, we would not be, I think, the anchor we are becoming in that community. So we're just down the road about 30 miles. So if you have time, come down and see us. I left brochure. And look, we're free. Thank you. We do have a few minutes for any questions. But before I, we take any questions, I do want to reiterate, um, cemetery preservation is a wonderful way as well to become an anchor in your community. Um, we had our cemetery, uh, we were approached by the mayor, and he said, this is going to be declared an abandoned cemetery, which is a good thing. It means we can fund the restoration of it. And I said, okay. He goes, I want you to do it. <laughs> and I said, oh. But then we gathered the park district, the garden club, the village, the historical society, and several other groups, and we banded together, and we restored the cemetery. And it really did help heal some of the preservation wounds from a few years before. So I'm glad you brought that up, and cemetery restoration is a wonderful way of becoming a community anchor. Does anybody have a, a question? We, we would love to take some questions. Oh my goodness. So we are perfect? <laughs> Just by a show of hands, I'm wondering, does, uh, how many people are in small organizations or represent a community? Wow, okay. So if you don't consider yourself a community representative, like if your museum or organization focuses on a particular topic, does anybody have a way that they are kind of anchoring within their community despite the fact that maybe they're a little unrelated, like maybe the, the Henry Ford Museum is not, you know, exactly the historical society for um, what, outside of Detroit, Greenfield Village or whatever. Does anybody have any ways that they are anchoring that we have not talked about today? Oh my goodness, this is a bad sign, isn't it? <laughs> well, yes, go ahead. Excellent. Her point was using other spaces for temporary exhibits. And you know that if you go into malls in your community, there are empty storefronts. And, and they don't like empty storefronts. And it, you know, down t small downtowns and things like that always have empty storefronts. One of our initiatives as well is going outside and doing large reproduction photos if you can get somebody to pay for it. And actually making your downtown Main Street into like a, a basically a, a museum itself in the empty storefronts or even stores that are there that are willing to participate. Putting large pictures with captions there so that you can kind of walk through and kind of create the downtown as a museum itself. Um, along those lines, one of the things I mentioned was a collaboration with the Art League of Montgomery County and the downtown art exhibit. Um, that art exhibit was done by a volunteer club. Um, my organization provided administrative support. Uh, we taught them how to do exhibits 
um, how to work with basic exhibit materials. Um, you know, you'd see all these um, ladies running around downtown Crawfordsville with white gloves, you know, <laughs> supporting paintings, you know, with their full bodies and things like that. What that did w for the community was bring a lot of people in from out of town. It brought business to the storefronts. It brought the Art League much more recognition, and it also made the organization, um, m m the organization that I was with, that actually sort of helped shore up, be the backbone, um, kind of the unseen bit. At first it seemed like we were unseen, but then gradually people were saying, oh, you're the people who help with the exhibit. You're the, and store owners were recognizing it. So, you know, that's, that's that sort of getting out there, using your community, um, using the buildings of your community, using the other organizations in your community um, is, is very, very important. Absolutely. Actually, Walgreens will print. Are there Walgreens around here? I don't know. Okay. I think it's nationwide, isn't it? Um, Walgreens will print uh, large 18 by 20 type posters very cheaply. So you probably have to mount it yourself. But there's really, you know, ways on a dime that you can do these things. Funny story about Walgreens, actually. Um, we were approached by Walgreens. They called us up and they said, we'd like to come and offer your staff flu shots. And, and I said, or my staff said, um, well, okay, um, there's three of us. And they said, but there's only three of you? You guys are everywhere. <laughs> how, is it, how is it there's only three of you? And she said, well, we have a lot of volunteers, and you, know, you, could, you could give flu shots to our board of directors. I'm sure they'd appreciate it. And so we ended up doing that as well. So Walgreens was approaching us based on our reputation, thinking that we're much actually larger than we are, which was a, kind of a nice, awkward compliment, so. <laughs> Does anybody else have any stories they'd like to share of their community involvement? Yes. Oh, dun dun dun, right? <laughs> Wonderful. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And most importantly, it boosted your reputation in the community. Because that's exactly the type of thing. And if for, for those of you who didn't hear, um, they, they partnered up or they, they took the then and now stories of the Civil War and the home front stories and they made it relevant by looking at our soldiers today and helping out with care packages and stuff. Did I get that right? Um, and that, that's a wonderful way. If you've got a base near you, by, by all means, they, they'd love the attention. Anybody else? Okay.
Well, it's almost 2.45, 2.41, so we're just about wrapped up. Well, I want to thank everybody, and I want to thank the panelists. I think they all did a fabulous job. If anybody has any questions, there are business cards up here. By all means, we're, we're at your disposal. And if anybody would like one of the community anchor worksheets, are you a community anchor? I think I have three left.